electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I got other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When we finally beat this darn COVID... We're going to be faced with a new world, a positive world. Some even say a roaring 20s world, especially when you consider all the stimulus governments around the world have been throwing at the darn thing. On days like today, with the Dow gaining 168 points, S&P climbing 0.71%, NASDAQ rising 0.95%, nice reversal from yesterday, you can see people are eager to bet on a return to some semblance of normalcy. But before we go all in on all of the reopening plays, you know what? I think it's worth asking, is normalcy good news for the stock market? How many stocks benefit from reopening versus the ones that are flying right now and might fizzle when things get back to normal? For years, the conventional wisdom said that you need to sell high-flying growth stocks when the economy kicks into gear. Why? Because they become less attractive compared to the beaten-down cyclicals that can deliver huge earnings growth during an expansion. For most of my career, that playbook worked. But I think that's become a lot less useful. These days, we no longer live under the tyranny of index funds and money managers who never want to discuss individual stocks, only indices. Thanks to commission-free trading, millions of young investors, my champion and cheer, have gotten in on the action, and they've created a stock picker's paradise, even though some people think it's a gangster's paradise. In this environment, you want the best companies that are levered to powerful long-term themes because you can buy them on a pullback. Now, last night, I gave you a whole bunch of them, e-commerce, travel and leisure, digitization, cybersecurity, 5G, China, wealth management, remote work, healthcare, and the big retailers that benefit from those stimulus checks. If the Democrats sweep the Democratic, the uh, Senate tonight in Georgia, you know, and that is a very big deal if they sweep in Georgia, uh, Wall Street might panic about imaginary tax hikes tomorrow. And that could be your buy, 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 buy. But because this is a stock pictures market, it's important not to paint with too broad a brush. 
Hey, I'm no Rothko here. Uh, more of a Rembrandt. Uh, I want to introduce you to a new term that you're going to be hearing a lot of going forward. Sustainability, as in, is it sustainable? Not ESG. Is it sustainable? Last year, winners had some, oh, they, uh, well, oh, everyone had spectacular rallies, right? Because people thought that their strength is sustainable, will be sustained in a post-COVID world. Now, I think we're giving way too many companies the benefit of the sustainable doubt here. Many of these moves are not sustainable. That's what I'm worried about. That's what we're talking about tonight. Let's start with a pair of household names that we always used to thought no one could ever get hurt in. And these are great, iconic American companies. I'm talking about Kimberly Clark and Coca-Cola. Both companies have terrific exposure to the stay-at-home economy, right? I mean, thanks to the huge pandemic, we built up giant stockpiles of tissues and diapers and soap and soda. Uh, but both companies also have big enterprise-oriented businesses that have been hammered. I'm talking about the Coca-Cola soda fountains, right? And restaurants. Kimberly Clark, it, it's it keeping office supplied with paper towels. TP. Meanwhile, they both have attractive 3% yields and good management. Ooh, what's not to like, right? What's not to like? Let me buy some. So uh, what's the problem? Simple. I don't expect Kimberly Clark or Coca-Cola stock to be sustainable investments right after COVID is conquered. Once the economy is roaring back, Wall Street will have no interest in these slow and steady growers. They're one cyclicals, like I mentioned earlier. Plus, those dividends, they won't protect us as interest rates start heading higher because 3% is just not big enough. Next up. Oh, boy. It's not just because I am three floors below something that's used as a clothes rack, but Peloton! Yes, Peloton, the maker of connected exercise machines, which I kind of was cold on, and then I got very hot on and liked. But now, well, this stock has been a fabulous COVID winner, right? But does it really deserve to be a $43 billion business? Well, Peloton's got a great product. I may jump on it after this. You better believe they'll take a hit once it's safe for people to go back to the gym. Now, we have Planet Fitness on the show tonight, and I think that they've got a great story in the post-pandemic world. They're about a fraction of the market capitalization of Peloton. Now, it's easy comparisons for the gyms, right? Tough comparison for Peloton. And yeah, I know. One Peloton costs a lifetime of Planet Fitness. I know. That's a different clientele. You Show me some respect. Of course, some of these COVID winners are sustainable. Take a company like DocuSign. Their software lets you check off on contracts via the web, rather than going to expensive meetings that can drag on for days. DocuSign isn't just a temporary replacement for those meetings. It's an all-around improvement with some, now see, with something like Peloton, uh, you might go back to SoulCycle or Equinox once you're uh, vaccinated. There, I use the high-end cl- uh, guys. But with DocuSign, we're never going back. Because it's the new normal. It's sustainable. It's a lot more fun. Hey, I bought something by mistake. Anyway, how could the uh, payment plays uh, like Square and PayPal be divvied up? Whoa. This is what I said in Twitter when I said, listen, I'm going to talk about some things you may not want to hear. I think digitization is here to stay. But that doesn't mean these specific stocks are both sustainable. Square's in a very crowded business. And while they're good at what they do, they're great at what they do. They've got no real moat. It's only a matter of time, I believe, before the banks or other fintechs figure out their edge and point of sale and then duplicate it, maybe even give it away. Kind of insane if they haven't done it already. I think the banks are pretty stupid, but maybe they're watching the show. They change their tune. With Bitcoin prices exploding, squares become the coward's way to play cryptocurrency. They, they bought $50 million worth of Bitcoin outright at 10000 a pop a, a couple of months ago. But, but you know what? I, 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 wait, I know it's at 30000 Wow, that is just, whoa, man, that's 
fantastic. I mean, yes, 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 yes. yes. All right, well, wait a second. That's not enough to explain this kind. I have championed Square forever, and I love how they help small businesses, particularly online businesses. But now it's got a $103 billion valuation. Is that sustainable? No. Not with all the potential competitors who could come in and underneath them if they had a half a brain. And I think some of them may even have two brains. Decent movie. I like the jerk more. PayPal. Now, PayPal, it has used this period to become a sort of worldwide banking and payments transfer play, especially via Venmo. They've done an end round around the entire banking system without the credit risk. The story is remarkable in its simplicity. And like Square, it's also an indirect Bitcoin play. PayPal, sustainable. Finally, let's get really tough. Let's get mean. Let's, let's just really just come on. Let's get nasty. Vaccines. Right now, supplies are tight, which is terrible for the world. Great for the vaccine makers. We've got Moderna and Pfizer with approved two-shot vaccines. And Johnson Johnson's got a one-shot vaccine lurking. Could be approved soon. I think that they could quickly ramp up to a billion doses. I've talked about that before. But you know what? Pfizer stock isn't even up since their vaccine got FDA approval. It's actually down close to 10%. Just not that much of a needle mover. <laughs> bad, bad needle joke. What happens to little Moderna if J&J's vaccine gets approved? I think Moderna is small enough that the COVID vaccine business matters to them. And I think they're in bad shape once we get a, a glut of vaccines, which is what I think is going to happen by the second quarter. My verdict. I don't care about Pfizer. J&J is sustainable, even if their vaccine goes nowhere. But Moderna, unsustainable. Now, every one of these stocks has benefited from the pandemic. So if we keep botching the vaccine rollout, that's good news for them. And that includes the unsustainables. But here's the bottom line. Once we get this vaccine program under control, then the sustainable stocks, well, they should keep climbing. But the unsustainable ones, they will become unownable for the moment. And they need to be trimmed, if not sold, before COVID is beaten. I am in the mood for phone calls. Kind of like I've never been this year. I want to go to Dudley in Nevada. Dudley! Hey, sending out a big-time hey. Northtown booyah. Northtown? Man, yeah. I, I lost to them in uh, a track, but that's okay. I, 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 I bought a car there. What's going on? Close to it. <laughs> What's going on? My, my position is Exxon with a 5% dividend. Should I increase my position to a composite... 7.5% dividend. Well, uh, uh, Exxon, you might have bought it 5%, right? Uh, now it yields 8 uh, Now, this is a very good example. You know what? I may go into this later in the show when we talk about dividends, but Chevron yields 6 Exxon yields 8 I think the 8% Exxon is less safe than the 6% Chevron. I say Ixnay, Exxon-nay, buy Chevron-nay. Okay, let's go to Rebecca in New York. Rebecca. Hi. I'd like to thank you for being the top stock expert and therefore making people a lot of money. Uh, I'd like to know how to divide my portfolio. Is it better to have 100 shares in 10 good companies or 50 shares in 20 good companies? Thank you. Oh, what are you, a mutual fund? The 20, the 20, Rebecca, is too hard. 
I suggest that people don't even more than 10. And then when you add one, you got to subtract one. That's too many. I want you to do the uh, I want you to do the 110 way. And I salute you. It is a stock pickers market. And you've not been brainwashed by people who say that you're stupid. I'm against that, even if it's allowed in the First Amendment. Anyway, terrific. People are looking for any sense of normalcy. When we beat COVID, yes, the strength in these moves, some unsustainable. Well, man, tonight, some stocks in this market are living a dream. But could the market wake up? Ooh, that's unnerving. I'm focusing on companies that live by momentum and die by momentum. Then I'm taking down 10 big dividend stocks I like right here, right now, and I cannot lie. And could another COVID surge stifle the usual January rush to the gyms? Why don't we talk to the gym expert? Let's go to the CEO of Planet Fitness. My suggestion, stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Live by momentum, die by momentum. Sell, sell, sell. With the newly minted electric vehicle stocks turning into a roller coaster ride. Hey, listen, they plummeted yesterday and it was just ugly. And now they're chugging higher again today. And a bunch of other speculative groups perched at precarious levels. I want to tell you a story. In 2018, we had an incredible bull market in marijuana. In late 2017, Canada had just voted to legalize weed, and Constellation Brands, the diversified booze company, you know, I like that one, Corona, Modelo, bought a minority stake in Canopy Growth, one of the leading Canadian cannabis plays. Suddenly, all these Canadian operators started listing their stocks in the United States, and demand was just off the charts. Canada's legalization was set to become law in October 2018, so everybody wanted a piece of these right beforehand, of course. Well, some of these moves were as extreme as anything I've ever seen in the electric vehicle space, even. A Canadian weed grower called Tilray came public that July at 17 bucks. In September, it briefly spiked up to $300. At roughly the same time, Constellation upped their investment in Canopy, plowing another $4 billion into the business. The whole group blazed higher. It, it felt like Cheech and Chong take Wall Street. Or Harold and Kumar go public. And then the whole edifice collapsed. The, mo- the moment Canada officially legalized weed, investors headed for the hills. The pot stocks tried to recover in 2019, but each time they just ended up selling off even harder. Sell, sell, sell. Because speculators were dreaming of a bright THC-infused future. But the harsh reality of legal marijuana simply couldn't match up. At the end of the day, this is a heavily regulated industry where tons of eager competitors end up causing ruinous price wars. The cannabis cohort only bottomed last spring after a year and a half of agony. The moral of this story? You can make a fortune betting on a dream, a total addressable market dream, but only if you recognize that dreams have a limited shelf life. Momentum buyers love to crowd into these dream stocks, but when that dream collides with reality, they flee the scene, leaving behind a more disciplined shareholder base that cares about pesky things like sales, 
or even earnings. And sad to say, we got a lot of dream stocks going in this market. These are groups that trade on visions of a huge TAM, that's that total adjustable market, many years down the line, kind of like the pot stocks in 2017-18. I'm talking about these new electric vehicle stocks. They're backed by a lot of them by special purpose acquisition companies. But I think we're seeing similar action in the online sporting uh, betting space, too. Not as bad. Uh, also a sexy biotech subsector. Mm, sometimes bad, sometimes not. Now, I'm not saying these groups will all repeat the cannabis crash and burn experience. I just want you to understand the risk, I'm going to repeat that word, the risk of betting on dreams of a big TAM. Sometimes it pays off, but more often it doesn't, and the total adjustable market turns out to be elusive, as it was for pot, even uh, pot that was, say, um, of the THC variety. Of course, regular viewers know I, I, that I like some of the electric vehicle plays. I've been the biggest supporter of EV on, on TV, but maybe even in the cyberspace. I'm just saying you should avoid all. It, it, there, there are a lot of the dream stocks you need to avoid. I'm not predicting they'll follow the trajectory of the moribund mar- marijuana bull market. Well, beat for beat, that'd be terrible. I just want you to understand the risks of betting on a dream rather than cold, hard numbers, as we like in Cray America. So let's start with the speculative EV plays. This is an industry where everybody's looking for the next Tesla, now a nearly $700 billion company that's practically printing money. I have to admit, I mean, you get me? Tesla's a rare case where the reality turned out to be better than the dream. When it comes to Tesla, I'm a believer. They've proven they can deliver on the dream. But let's not kid ourselves, please. It's still a dream stock. If you're buying this thing, well, you, you're not betting on the near-term sales or earnings. You're betting on Elon Musk's vision for the future. The new factories in Berlin and Austin, the growing solar business, energy storage business, maybe even fleets of robo-taxis somewhere down the line. He's capable of anything, and that's why we love him so much. But Tesla's unique in that the dream has seamlessly merged with reality rather than colliding with it at 90 miles an hour. We've seen even bigger moves in some of its imitators, like the electric vehicle SPAC plays, or the Chinese electric car companies, or the hydrogen fuel cell complex, plug power. We've had them on, up nearly 1,000% last year. Blink charging, up 2,200%. Hmm, better than American electric power. When you look at the newly minted electric vehicle stocks, the ones with special purpose acquisition company money, these were some of the hottest names in the market for that just blaze in fourth quarter, even though most of them don't plan on making any revenue for years and years. Forget earnings. They may not even have a product until 2024. A product! When the electric SPACs list their stocks via reverse mergers, they're allowed to give projections for the future. SEC says it's okay or doesn't know or whatever. And we've seen a ton of forecasts for 2025 or even 2030. I mean, that's crazy. Doesn't mean they can't have more upside. But it absolutely means you need to be careful, circumspect even. Again, because like the pot stocks, most of these will eventually fizzle. And I don't... I don't want you holding the bag. I don't want to get your head chopped off. Let's come back to Tesla because it's the best of the bunch. This is the premier momentum stock of our era, maybe of our lifetime, maybe since the Paleozoic era or whatever era with the Velociraptors win. But what happens if that momentum slows? What if 2021 is merely okay? As Elon Musk told his employees a month ago, this is a quote I love. Investors are giving us a lot of credit for future profitability. But if at any point, They conclude that's not going to happen. Our stock will immediately get crushed like a souffle under a sledgehammer. 
How much do you love that guy? Huh? He's right. I am a simulation. He's a genius. Sledgehammer. Fortunately, Tesla has a proven track record at this point. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they continue to deliver. But the other electric vehicle plays, uh, the, the ones that don't have any plans to have revenue for years, they've got nothing to fall back on if traders lose interest, or for that matter, if interest rates spike, because that type tends to take the air out of these kinds of stocks. That said, I see the group getting a fresh burst of momentum, because guess what? We just learned that Rivian an electric truck and SUV developer, got a $25 billion valuation today, latest fundraise. It was valued at a reported 5 to $7 billion roughly a year ago. That's nice appreciation. Rivian's much further along than the electric SPAC place. They're set to start making deliveries this summer. And they've got some terrific partnerships with companies, real companies, companies like Ford, Amazon. Still, prepare for uh, some positive pin action off of that. That may or may not make sense, because what's good for Rivian is good for Rivian. What else falls into the dream category? To some extent, we've seen the same thing with the sports betting stocks, especially Penn National, DraftKings. Full disclosure, DraftKings sponsors my fantasy football show with Sports Illustrated this past year. Uh, that's the uh, bull market fantasy. Good one today, by the way. As more and more states legalize sports gambling, though, the dream is pretty darn enticing. Plus, a year ago, Penn National bought a controlling stake in Barstool, a transformational deal that's turned the stock into a total powerhouse, and we introduced that deal. That's with Dave Portnoy. Before the deal, Penn was a $3 billion local casino and horse racing play. Now it's a $13.5 billion gambling colossus. Now, I have to tell you, I think DraftKings and Penn National are smart, and their stocks represent decent value, even good value. But if every casino gets into the business, well, it's going to get crowded pretty fast. Plus, I'm seeing a ton of imitators on the rise here. I don't expect them all to make it. I say ignore the imitators. Stick with the realities. Finally, there are the CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R stocks. Uh, this is a small universe of biotech companies that are trying to harness a powerful gene editing technology. Basically, CRISPR lets you go uh, into a cell's genome and after it however you want to do. This is a revolutionary technology that could change the world. Maybe it, it could cure cancer. Uh, maybe it causes a zombie apocalypse, though. But the story, joke, but the story is still early. So when I look at how these CRISPR stocks roared last year, I'm getting a little nervous here. CRISPR therapeutics nearly quintupled from the March lows in the end of the year, ending 2020 up, up more than 150%. It's now an $11 billion company. You've asked me about it a bunch of times, even though the company's still in its infancy. It all goes well. It could make a killing in 2025, but that's a big if. And when you hear that, if all goes well, you need to stop and think, because it often doesn't. Same goes for the other CRISPR place, um, uh, Editas Medicine. Of course, early-stage biotechs are always dream stocks, but these ones have been fabulous performers over time, many of them, because their dream is so compelling. Again, though, I'm getting more and more nervous and because I'm getting more and more questions about lesser imitators in the CRISPR space. And many of them feel like exercises in what I call the greater fool theory, which I, I tell you to buy, you tell me to buy, I tell you to buy, next thing there's nothing. Here's the bottom line. Some of these dream stocks will more ultimately pay off. Absolutely. But some, it might take for years. And while you're waiting, their stocks are driven by visions of huge addressable markets and momentum, not facts, which means you can get much better entry points as long as you're willing to be patient and the dream gets, let's just say, interrupted. But remember, in some cases, no entry door is worth opening. Stick with Coming up. To lose five pounds or take a minute off your mile, the only way to do it is six feet apart. 
Their gyms may be a judgment-free zone, but is the verdict in on whether a fitness center chain can sweat out the ongoing pandemic? Kramer gets you the answer next. With bonds yielding next to nothing and the Federal Reserve planning to keep interest rates low for the foreseeable future, where the heck are you supposed to get income? Where do you find it if you need it? I say forget the bond market. If you want income, you need to find it in stocks, dividend stocks. To make it easy for you, I've decided tonight put together a diversified portfolio of high-yielding stocks that I trust that will also offer some potential for uh, upside because I want you to know that it's still possible to get income with a degree of safety in this environment. First, though, let me give you my philosophy on dividend stocks. And I have to do this given the fact of so many questions I get in the lightning round. Way too many people take way too much risk when they're chasing yield who watch this show and everywhere else. See, they look at a stock with, say, an 8% yield and think, ooh, that's a good thing. Who would want that big fat payout, right? Wrong. When you see a stock with a gigantic yield, that's called a red flag. Unlike treasury bonds, where your payout is practically guaranteed, people say it is guaranteed, companies can always cut their dividends. And when you see a sky-high yield, here's what you should think. It's a sign that the dividend is in danger. Sometimes it's a sign that the payout's safe, but the share price is headed lower. Either's bad. We've seen a lot of this in the real estate investment trust business and also in the biggest disaster uh, of my uh, last 10 years, the oil pipeline master limited partnerships or MLPs. As a general rule, if you see a stock with a yield north of 8 percent, that means the smart money won't go near it. It tells you that there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of risk if you're investing for income. Risk is the last thing you want. That's not why you're doing it. You want quiet money. You don't want vassal vassal. So if you only take one thing away from this entire segment, remember that you should never reach for yield. It's just not worth it. You want to stop with a safe 4% yield, not a dicey 9% yield. So which dividend stocks works right now? And remember, what I'm looking at is balance sheet. I'm looking at prospects. If you think there's a 9%er out there and you don't understand how to read a balance sheet, I am telling you, look out. Why don't we start with a good one that we all know? Let's start with Dow Chemical. Oh, this thing's been a terrific performer. When? Since CEO Jim Fitterling came on this show and told us he had just bought a half a million dollars worth of stock in the open market with his own money. A major insider buy. Since then, Dow's more than double. But you know what? Even up here, it still yields 5%. I like this one. Why? Because I think the numbers are going higher, led by the rising price of polyethylene. My favorite chemicals analyst, Frank Mitch, principal at Fermium, just raised estimates on strong plastic demand. You're not reaching for yield when the estimates are going up. Although I'd like Dow, of course, a little bit more on a pullback. It's been so red hot. Second, controversial, IBM. Back in October, when IBM announced the spinoff of its $19 billion managed infrastructure services business, a slow grower, management was quick to point out that the two companies would maintain a combined dividend level that would be no less than it was before the spinoff. That's terrific news because it means you get a 5% yield. Now, I think IBM's making a lot of smart moves by offloading its legacy properties, focusing on faster-growing opportunities like the t- uh, cloud, digitization. Their acquisition of Red Hat, the open-source enterprise software company, represents the future. With its 5.17% yield, IBM's paying you to wait for the process to play out. I believe in CEO Arvind Krishna. I believe in the dividend. And I believe in Gary Cohn. 
Uh, they just brought him in as vice chairman this morning. Doesn't hurt to have the former CEO of Goldman Sachs on the board to be a change agent. Third, lots of times when you search for good yielding growth stocks, you find some chink in the armor that can't be patched over. But that doesn't mean it's bad. That's the general feeling right now about Advi, the drug company that loses its exclusivity on its biggest drug franchise, Umira, in two years. For growth investors, that could be a disaster, but I think they're missing something. Advi's got a fabulous pipeline, not to mention two blockbuster drugs that are growing like crazy. Throw in everything they picked up from the Allergan acquisition, don't forget Botox, and I think that's a 4.9% yield that I want. Fourth, B&G Foods. Come on, I've had them on a bunch of times. This is another one of those uh, people, uh, they don't believe it, which is why the steady eddy purveyor of pantry brands supports a 7.1% yield. Now, a month ago, B&G bought Crisco from J.M. Smucker for $500 million in cash. Hey, people would make cookies out of this, Crisco. I'm not kidding. This is a deal that bolsters their cash flow, making the dividend more secure. Well, then why is it seven? Well, the fly in the ointment here. Six weeks ago, CEO Ken Ramanzi. I like that guy. He suddenly stepped down with no real explanation. He was just on the show. Nerve-wracking? You betcha. So why am I okay with betting on B&G? Because David Winter, the former CEO and uh, current board member, has stepped in as interim CEO. We know he can do the job. Why? Because he's done it before. Stand-up guy. Plus, millions of people have learned how to cook over the past 10 months. And B&G brands are really perfect for them. Oh, check them out in the supermarket, will you? Fifth. I've told you repeatedly that the oil patch is uninvestable with uh, two key exceptions, one of them being Chevron with its bountiful 6% yield. Chevron's done a great deal to improve its balance sheet, and unlike the rest of the industry, they don't take bizarre risks. A lot of that comes down to just liking the CEO, Mike Worth, good stewardship. Am I crazy for recommending oil stock when environmentally friendly Democrat is about to take the White House from a drill baby drill Republican? No. The oil industry's problem is that there's too much drilling, which floods the market with excess supply. Under Biden, the big integrated oils like Chevron should do better as drilling on new land becomes more difficult and their existing wells get more valuable. Methane rules will get much tougher. Plus, Saudi Arabia just announced a surprise production cut today. They know the solution is reducing supply. And that sent West Texas crude above $50 a barrel for the first time in ages. Great news for Chevron. In fact, we're going to go further. Right now, I'm going to recommend a pipeline play, not a mass limited partnerships, don't worry. A pipeline play, Kinder Morgan. Now, I've avoided this one for how many years, how many points? But it just put through a 3% dividend boost. It now yields north of 7.5%. I think it's safe. Finally, I always come back to Verizon, a slow and steady grower with a 4.28% yield that won't keep you up at night. Why Verizon, not AT&T? Because I think AT&T's 7.1% yield will give you nightmares. Or at least make you wish for some CBD drop. I mean, some Ambien prescription, Uh, maybe melatonin. I don't know. Take three. Six is too much. Of course, there are also tons of high quality utility stocks that have been crushed lately, in part because they still yield too little versus the names I just mentioned. And in part because the bond market has been signaling that rates are going higher. American electric power. Dominion and Entergy all work. We've had them on a bunch of times. Hey, I don't care about boring when it comes to stocks. They got good growth, strong management. The bottom line. With my diversified dividend portfolio, you can get a 5% plus yield with the possibility of actual upside. If you want income, that's a much better deal than you'll get from CDs or treasuries. And it's much safer than messing around with an 8, 9, or 10% yield with dubious payout that can get crushed when that dividend gets sliced or eliminated. Much more mad by the head. 
pretty much since Planet Fitness. The company has survived a disastrous year where many of its competitors faltered. And does it all come down to survival of the fittest? Who can avoid, miss going for that Darwinian joke? I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then, could another COVID-19 lockdown be coming to the U.S.? I'm going to tell you how we can work to avoid it. They want to listen to me, but then again, I'm just a TV talk show host. And, of course, all your rapid-fire calls that you've been waiting for in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. With COVID hospitalizations hitting new records every day now, another shutdown perhaps a possibility. It, it can be hard to think about the future, especially since we're botching the vaccine rollout. But sooner or later, we're going to beat this darn thing. And when that happens, you'll want to own some reopening place. Think Planet Fitness, which is one of the faster growing health club franchises in America before the virus hit. When we started getting positive vaccine data two months ago, this stock surged 16 percent in a single day. As long as COVID's on the loose, though, I mean, people are going to feel like that maybe gyms are unsafe. Uh, Once we're vaccinated, though, it's all going to change. Don't take it from me, though. Let's check in with Chris Rondo, the CEO of Planet Fitness, friend of the show. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Rondo, congratulations on ringing the bell and welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be back. (laughs) All right. So, Chris. Uh, working out this morning. What do I see? I see a Planet Fitness ad, and I say, wow, it must be back to usual. Is it? I tell you, I, I couldn't be pretty I'm pretty happy with how things are going. Even the fourth quarter, uh, the joints, we had a lot of promotions we ran, and, you know, we were very skeptical, you know, in, in a little bit of third quarter, fourth quarter, we were kicked in our marketing gym if people were going to respond to it, and it really did, which was really exciting. And then leading in here for the first quarter, um, I couldn't be pleased. It's still early, actually, in the only the fourth or fifth right now. So, um, but pleased with how the members are responding to the marketing and people coming in and working out. So it's been great to see. Now, I know from the last conference call, you did lose uh, a million members, but the slowing of the decline seemed pretty significant. Uh, has did the rest of the year make it make you feel like you know what? Uh, if we just stabilize here and get a vaccine, maybe uh, everybody gets vaccinated by June, July, you could be up year over year? Yeah, so we ended up, uh, you're right, we lost about a million members, and then for the fourth quarter, it was definitely the decrease was slowing. Um, we still had a lot of clubs that opened up in September, October, and when a club first opens, they lose a lot of the initial pent-up demand on the cancel side of things. So we did see that continually to slow towards the end of the uh, fourth quarter, and I think here coming into the, into the first quarter here, the va- vaccination, I think, has got some positive sentiment going on. Um, our member workouts year over year are increasing, so we're slowly getting back to normal workouts and from current members. Um, so I think that, you know, people are, the COVID fatigue has set in, even though, unfortunately, we have seen a lot of spiking. But I really believe that people are ready to, you know, get back to shape. And and, and fitness is really essential. I look at it, and, and we all know, um, when you look at COVID, who is affected most of pre-existing conditions. And working out and staying in shape is one of the ways to in- increase your immune system. God forbid you get COVID. So I think it's important people are getting back to back in the business. Now, let me ask you, Chris. Uh, I find it very hard to work out wearing a mask. I found it easy to work out when I work out with others. Uh, how does that balance out, knowing that a lot of people fear that the air could be polluted with COVID and ventilation in a lot of buildings may not be good enough? Yeah, I think, you know, early on when this all broke out back in, in the first quarter, you know, no one really knew what was happening. And, you know, plan has been as we we shut down proactively even though we weren't required in all states to shut down we said based on the facts we should probably shut our doors for safety upon reopening jim we've seen our member workouts we have social fitnessing we call it in the stores 
Um, cleanliness has really picked up. Members and staff are cleaning down the equipment before and after the use. I work at my local planet here and it's besides the mask, it's almost like usual. I feel very safe. Members are coming in. I see the same groups all day. Every time I go in the morning and, and we have our, we implemented a crowd meter in our app, believe it or not. So real time, you can see before you leave the house, how busy the club is. If you want to try to, you know, change your times of working out to maneuver around that. But um, it's actually worked out really well. And it's surprising that even the states that require masks 100% of the time, even during working out, um, aren't really reacting or acting any differently than the clubs that require masks just while walking around, but not while you're working out or directly working out. So um, people have adapted to it, believe it or not. All right. So, Chris, look, I regard you as someone since you started at the bottom, worked your way up. You're a great business person, but you're also a person who understands the psyche of people who work out. And by the way, whether they are wealthy or not wealthy. So do you find it quizzical, as I do, that your company is valued at six point four billion dollars and it's the success and the survivor in your business? And there's another company, Peloton. That's worth $43 billion. Now, they are, now look, they're separate business. I know we can already say, but if you and I were going to, in business together right now, would you rather own a, a franchise that sells Peloton in a, a mall or would you rather own a, a Planet Fitness franchise? Well, naturally, I'm biased, Jim, right? But <laughs> I look at, we've been around for 28 years, and when you look at our business model, catering to casual first time, almost 40% of our joins had never wanted to go to gym in their entire life. So this is their first like venture into fitness. And even post-COVID, even coming out of this gym, they're still joining at the same rate. 40% of them going to a gym in their life. And 25% of our clubs are in neighborhoods that the government deems as low income. So when you think about that, whether it's affordability of apparatus or even space in someone's home to work out, I mean, we really work in all markets. We have clubs in Manhattan. We have clubs in, you know, really rural Arkansas and Tennessee and West Virginia to L.A., Oakland, and Miami. So the business model really works everywhere. So our TAM is very large. Well, I got to tell you, I think your total industrial market's for real. I think that you're for real and that you've come through this and are the survivor when many others failed. And, of course, Peloton is not a franchise outfit, but I have to certainly put it to Chris because Chris knows this business very well. As Chris Rondo, Planet Fitness CEO, congratulations, sir, on a much thank better you, year sir. than most people expected. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Mad Money, it's back. Absolutely. Mad Money's back here. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Yeah, it's over the lighting round. Here's the round. start with Mark in Hawaii. Mark. Hey, Jimmy. Mark calling in from Hawaii with a quick shout out to the Mearswalk gang in Jersey. Booyah. Hey, considering the Booyah, travel has been really impacted by COVID. I wanted to get your thoughts on airline stocks, specifically Hawaiian Airlines, H.A. No, we're going to stay away. Uh, we think that, that uh, travel is going to be slow. That's that's the one. That's a, It's too dicey for me right now. I need to go to David in Massachusetts. David. Hey, Jim. How's it going? It's David Mendelson. I'm calling from Boston, Mass. I've identified oh, nice. Tattoo Chef, ticker TTCF as a potential growth opportunity because of the share price's discount to value in comparison to similar competitors in the segment like Beyond Me. Well, you know, you've been they right. I mean, I, I got some of their stuff. Some of them, I got like a box of tattoos that like, appeared at my door. It's like, oh, wait a second. Let me see. It's interesting stuff. I, but $1.5 billion valuation. I, 
I, I you know, looked into it. I said, yeah, Tetris Chef's not bad. Cheaper than the others. I like your thinking. I need to go to Adam in New York. Adam. Hey, Jim. Love your work on the Next Gen Mass Challenge. Well, thank you, Adam. I appreciate that. You got a good winner there from Arizona State. Yeah. How can I help? My question is about LRN Stride from the online education sector. Um, you've spoken positively about them before. LRN has uh, great fundamentals, beat earning expectations last quarter with year-over-year growth and gave strong forward guidance. Yet the stock is undervalued and still flying under the market radar. Um, you know, I'm going to have to work on that because of what's happening with, with COVID. i got to find where they stand with COVID. The last, you know, it's been a long time since I've since I talked about them. I need to know more. Hey, can we go to, uh, wow, I guess this is like um, like Phoenix, uh, River in Colorado. River. Hey, Mr. Kramer, good to talk to you. So I have Same. a dividend stock for you. That <laughs> I have a dividend stock, so the ticker is G-O-O-D, Gladstone Commercial Corporation. Yeah, that could be B-A-D. Uh, it's got an 8.4% yield, yet that is too high for me. It's a red flag. I'm going to have to take a pass. I know they're actually smart guys, but I'm going to take a pass on that one. I don't like high-yielding stocks. I just want good growth with a little bit lower yield. I need to go to Kushboo in New Jersey. Kushboo! Hi, Jim. I'd first like to give a shout-out to my dad, Vishnu, who's watching all the way from Belize. He never misses an episode okay, of Mad Money. <laughs> I'd like to know oh, what you man, think that's about what I'm the talking company. about. <laughs> I'd like to know what you think about the company OPEN. Open. You know, this is one that that Stuart Miller from Lenar, executive chairman, he spoke very highly about it. I believe I don't want to confuse things, but I love everything he had to say. I think it sounded exceptional. So I'm okay on this one. Wow. I've got to tell you, how about these people? Sri Lanka. Where are these people calling me from? I just love it. And people watching me. Well, anyway... That, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion, I wanted more calls, of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus, special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. The next lockdown is coming at us like a runaway train. With Britain shutting down again to cope with the new, more virulent strain of COVID, it feels like we'll be next. we got a new president coming in. Hospitals are being overwhelmed. Why not just bite the bullet and get it over with? Believe me, I understand the impulse to shelter in place nationally until at least we get vaccinated. And I know there's a point where lockdowns are unavoidable because they prevent the healthcare system from being overwhelmed. But it drives me nuts that we're in this position. We've learned so much about this virus, we just need to apply it. If we use that information, we wouldn't need to shut things down. Example number one, it's an 
aerosol, for heaven's sake. Lots of people seem to think COVID spreads when, you pe- when people cough on you, when they sneeze on you from a surface, whatever. Oh, sure, that's part of it. But it's not the most important part. Professor Kimberly Prather of the University of California, San Diego, is the world's leading expert on aerosols. She's not an MD, but she knows more about COVID transmissions than any doctor because it's an aerosol. You have to... Look at the virus like it's cigarette smoke. It fills the room, engulfs it. If you let the room get filled, then there's a good chance that you're going to get infected. What does that mean? It means we could slow the spread if we make sure places where people congregate are well ventilated. Open a window, for heaven's sake, a bunch of them. Plus, you can use carbon dioxide detectors to see if there's too much viral load. You know, they're actually doing that in all the restaurants, a lot of buildings in Japan, which has a much better COVID track rate than we do. I work with Dr. Prather on the mask competition uh, that I helped fund, and she made me feel like we could avoid a lockdown if we just take a smarter approach. She's now advising President Biden's task force. Hopefully he'll listen to her. Dr. Prather says we need masks, social distancing, and ventilation. So talking to your family doesn't cause you to get infected. Second idea, cheap at-home testing. Dr. Michael Minna, professor of epidemiology at Harvard's Chan School of Public Health, came on Mad Money a few weeks ago and suggested that for a few billion dollars, the U.S. government could give every American a bunch of paper strips that tell you at home if you're infected. And it's done with remarkable accuracy. The technology is there right now. That way you'd know to stay home if you're infectious. Seems insane that we aren't already doing this. The medical community is fighting what the public health community is urging. And it is a public health problem. Finally, remember when the president got COVID, but the, uh, back, he's back on his feet almost instantly? Because he took the Regeneron antiviral drug. That drug has now been approved by the FDA, and it is excellent if you just learned you have COVID, perhaps by the strip med that I just described. But doctors aren't using it much because the NIH has questioned its value. Oh, come on. NIH questioned the FDA? That's lunacy. If it was good enough to get the FDA's approval, we should be giving it to people when they get oh, when they get infected and kick them out of the hospital. Rather than letting tens of thousands of these doses sit in some cabinet somewhere, that's outrageous, too. Now, it might be too late for these strategies to stave off some level of lockdown, but I hope we can find a common-sense middle ground where we can keep our windows open, keep our masks on, get everyone cheap at-home tests, stay socially distanced, and push Regeneron's drug for people who've caught it. We don't need to shut down the economy. It would be wrong. We just need to be smarter about fighting the virus. Maybe I'm naive for thinking our country can make smart decisions, but why not give it a shot? I like to say it's, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.